Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella and today's guest is Jancy Dunn. Hey Jancy, welcome to the show. Oh, pleasure to be here. Jancy, you wrote a book that I'm holding in my hot little hands called How Not to Hate Your Husband After Kids. I am dying. I love this book so much. It was so candid and so brave and obviously the title is just a huge score. Well done you. Is it a huge score though? Because I have heard from people that the title is harsh and I mean, it's, it's relatable and anyone with kids will automatically go, haha, right? But do you think, how do you feel about the title? I feel like the title makes you go, wait, what? I don't hate my husband. Okay. So first it challenges you. All right. Right. And then secondly, you're like, oh, except for the times that I do actually hate my husband. And <laughs> the fact that you say how not to hate your husband after kids and on the cover, there's a picture of a man reading his cell phone while sort of kind of feeding like a screaming toddler. <laughs> yeah. Who like, looked exactly like my husband. That's the eerie thing because our art director had not seen a picture of him. And that this is actually true to life. Although interestingly, you can see on the cover if you have it in front of you that he's got some Chuck Taylors on. The original husband did not have Chuck Taylors on. And then they thought, oh, let's make him a little hipper. And they put on some Chucks. Just a little fun fact. Ella. I love it. So here's why I love it. First of all, I don't hate my husband. And Jancy, I'm pretty sure you don't hate your husband. No. But what I love is that the cover, the title, and the actual book. Just keep it so real. And just talk about the fact that there are some times where you want to murder your husband with your bare hands. And a lot of it has to do with having kids or running a household together or, you know, all of the things. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. And it just, my anger at him surprised me because we did not used to be like that pre-kid. And it just... I don't know. It just happens. And the more you talk about it with others, the more you realize, oh, this is a thing. Yes. <laughs> I love just that we can be real and just keep, like have a really candid conversation. And this book was so brave of you because it is so candid. Like I just so appreciate <laughs> it because people don't have these conversations. They just don't. It was painful for me to put in the book some of our petty, ridiculous fights where I look like a harridan because I was one. And, you know, like you think about the fights that you have with your significant other, right? And if people could read a transcript of them, how embarrassed you would be. Everybody, you know? And so my husband, I did have to, he's a very private guy. I am less so, but he was, you know, horrified at this idea at first. But, but to his credit, look, he's a journalist and he said, all right, if we're going to do it, let's really do it and let's be honest and let's see where this goes. And plus we were really in trouble. I mean, that was not just some conceit for a book deal. We were not doing well. So let's start there, Jancy. So first of all, I've done just a horrendous job of introducing you. Would you please tell people who you are and what you do? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I just no, went, I just jumped never. right on in. <laughs> no, you were saying reasons why you love the book. Are you kidding? That's an, an okay way to start. <laughs> yeah, we don't even need an intro. I was fine with that. But okay, I've written six books. So I did a memoir because I used to be a a longtime writer at Rolling Stone, which was really fun. And, you know, like the ideal job when you're out of college. And then 
I wrote Cindy Lauper's autobiography with her. She's a nut, the good kind of nut, like a lovable kook. And then I did a children's book. Anyway, so then this one came up because after the last book I did, which was Cindy, oh, and I write for a lot of magazines. and You write for Oprah's magazine. I do, yeah. I write for Vogue and um, all kinds of different magazines and newspapers. And I was a sex columnist at GQ for a while. And I, I've done all kinds of things because when you're a writer, you have to do all kinds of things. I was a VJ on MTV too. So anyway, this was just my latest... I just was sensing a lot of resentment from new mothers towards their husbands. And these were progressive guys. You know, like even with my husband, I didn't marry some thug or some, you know, dope. He He's a great guy and he's progressive. And we had all these talks about, you know, having the baby and he was willing to pitch in and blah, blah, blah. Well, then I had the baby and it just didn't work out that way. We slid back into the 50s. It was so bizarre. Yeah, it's like, hello, 1952. Where have you been yes. in my life? I work every day. I write from like nine to three while my child is at school. My daughter, she's now eight. And then I'm a mom. And so I was on the playground, our local Brooklyn playground with a bunch of moms. And I just remember just kind of sensing a lot of unhappiness. But they were sort of skirting around the idea. And they're like your friends. My friends are we talk about the most intimate things you can imagine. You know, nothing is off topic. I mean, and I've nursed them through their parents' deaths. I mean, deep stuff. Sure. Yet, yet we could not really get real with each other about the depth of our fighting with our husbands or boyfriends, whatever was going on when we had a kid. Because, you know, it's a thing where, is this the longest answer, Ella, in the history of answers? I'm, I'm going to keep going, too. Do it, do it, go. You, know, you have like a boyfriend and you talk to your friends about it. You know, you, you can be, you divulge more information than you would perhaps <laughs> do once you've decided to really commit with someone. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> I was, right, like you're, I was protective of him. And I also felt ashamed. I thought, is anyone else having these petty fights? Because on the surface, you know, we would fight about whose turn it was to empty the diaper genie. And the fight inevitably went like this. I would say, Diaper Genie reeks, can you just please empty it? And Tom, my husband, um, would say, oh, I did it last time. And then I would immediately get enraged and remind him that I carried the baby for nine months. You know, like you always fall back on that. You, you got your like nine golden months where you did all the work. When really being pregnant was kind of, it wasn't that arduous for me until the Shh, end. Don't tell the and, men. <laughs> right, exactly. And so we would just end up, you know, it was like, whose turn it was to do this or who deserves rest more or it just became this petty fight-a-thon and I'm a peace-loving person and so is he we're like writers we're bookish types we don't like loud noises and so it was really jarring and I remember thinking okay like the rational part of my brain I would think okay you are sleep deprived you have hormones you know careening all over your body your life is turned upside down I couldn't believe how much laundry a baby takes like the onesies right and I remember before I had a kid thinking when my friends had kids I would think you know really you haven't been out of the house for three days give me a break you know right and, but then I saw how much work it is it's, it it threw me and I think it throws everybody so even though rationally I would think okay you're not yourself you have the world's tiniest views but it still was alarming because this was a guy that I loved you know I had him impregnate me in the first place. Clearly, you know, there was some warm feelings. And so the more I sort of looked around and asked around, the deeper it got. And even since I've written the book, 
friends of mine, really good friends, have come to me and said, oh, I didn't talk to, you know, blank for a year after our baby was born. And Wait, I, I what? Said, they didn't talk to their spouse for a year after the baby was born? Yes, and I would say, where was I? Why, why didn't you tell me? Why weren't you confiding in me? And my friend uh, said she was ashamed that other people seem to have this whole parenting thing down. I mean, certainly when you look on social yeah. media, everyone looks well-rested. Their hair is brushed, <laughs> right? They don't look like they smell. They don't look like they've been screaming at each other. It just kind of perpetuates the idea that other people can do this better than you can. And there's so much insecurity around parenting anyway, it seems like. Oh, so much. And what I love is just the sort of compare and contrast Jancy's life before and Jancy's life after. So let me see how I do with this. So before you have your daughter, you and your husband, you're a little bit hip. Let's just be honest. Pretty hip. Living the life in Brooklyn. You write for Rolling Stone like you were a VJ for MTV. You you know, you kind of got it going on. So you're doing your thing and you're so liberated and you're so evolved. And then you have your child. Am I getting this right so far? You have your child and all of a sudden it is leave it to beaver in your household, you are doing everything. Like all of a sudden your very equitable partner somehow actually sort of backs off oddly (laughs) and you go into full house manager, baby manager, June Cleaver mode. Am I exaggerating? (laughs) Well put. That's exactly, you nailed it. And that was the thing too, is it's that thing, I don't know, working women, it's that thing where you think, okay, the more you give me, the more I can do. I can do this. I got this. I got this. You know, checking off the boxes. Right, because there's points for that. There are points for that. There's a trophy. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And so that's what I was doing, too. I thought, oh, I've got this whole motherhood thing down. I'm on it. You know, I'm sleeping two hours a night, but I'm on it, you know. And, And so that was a problem, too. And he, I had to, once this book thing was happening and he was on board, Tom, and things had gotten really terrible to the point where I wondered if we were going to separate. And he said, okay, what happens if we try all this stuff? Oh, I left a part out of what I was telling you, which is that I write about health and psychology quite a bit for Oprah, Vogue, Health Magazine. And so I know a ton of experts. I know all these people. Mm, right. It was that thing. What's that expression about the cobbler's kid has no shoes? Like exactly. It was same, like in my own life, I wasn't even applying any of the stuff that I wrote about. And I thought, okay, I know a lot of people. Why don't I try their advice? And I'll really jump in. And I wasn't thinking of a book deal at first. I was thinking, oh, I'm just going to really try. Like, what's wrong yeah, with like, me? Yeah, like, let's save my marriage. <laughs> yeah, like, right? And so, so we went into it kind of feeling nervous, but willing to try. One thing I want to go ahead and get on the table is that some people don't relate to the fighting that seems to come out of nowhere. Some people actually slip into just complete apathy and there is no fighting. So I just want to acknowledge that we're talking to you as well because, you know, it's the same root. It's just the branches look a little bit different. Does that make sense? You know, exactly right. That you can kill your relationship a lot of different ways. And one way is to take your eye off your partner, just as you said and to just get through the business, particularly if you have multiple kids, I only have one, but it can die from simple neglect. And you think, oh, well, we get along fine. We're not having explosive fights. But if you haven't had a decent conversation with your partner that doesn't involve logistics, that was so deadly with me and Tom as well, is you can, weeks can pass and all you've talked about is that you need to buy garbage bags. You know, it's, it's just it's just life, right? And that's that's not very, it's not really nurturing your relationship. So I called on every 
expert I knew. A lot of them didn't make it into the book because I did a ton of research. Yeah, and there's so much here. <laughs> then we just started. And and I'm here to say that it, it, does, <laughs> it does have a happy ending, which is not wrapping it up with a bow. I mean, we still... We Spoiler have alert, you're married. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you're still married. And now it's been, what, 17 years? So a long time, you know. Okay, so that's what I want to talk about. And I want to break it into three categories. So I'm going to tell everybody kind of where we're going. The first thing I want to talk about is managing the household. And this, you don't even have to have kids to get value out of this conversation. And then I want to talk about healthy fighting. Actually, you don't have to have kids for any of these to add value because it's just relationship. But I want to talk about kind of rules of engagement when it comes to fighting and what you learned about that. And then I want to talk about sex. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. Read that chapter, but yes, I can do it. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about managing the household because what I found interesting about your story, Jancy, was like I said before, you guys, you know, you had a nice division of labor. You were, you were comfortable. You were fine. I'm sure there are things that you both would change about the other person, but like life was fine. And then you have a baby and all of a sudden it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but you actually take on far more of the domestic duties and your active participatory husband like retreated in a way. And you introduce a term in your book that I hadn't heard before. And that is maternal gatekeeping as to one of the reasons why this happens. Could you elaborate? Yes. And there have been several studies about this. It's where basically the mother, pardon me, often the new mother starts taking all of the chores over and the childcare because she subconsciously feels like she can do it better. And she starts pushing a hesitant new father away. And I was doing it all the time. If he tried to bathe the baby, I would get nervous that he was going to drown her, right? Like not trusting him at all and say, let me do, I'll just do it. And constantly I was saying, let me do it. Well, how is he supposed to learn if he's never able to be with the baby on his own? I would never leave the house. I was always around hovering over him. And it can be both criticizing what he does. It can be even nonverbal things like rolling your eyes or going, oh, when he's trying to snap up onesies, which are a nightmare. There's 75,000 onesies on one of those. <laughs> it's a test. I mean, snapped on those things, right? So I was very guilty of doing that. I took away all of his agency. And, you know, there are other studies that if you don't involve a new father right away, that gradually he just drifts away because what's he supposed to do? And so I was doing that all the time. Give her to me. Give her to me. Let me do it. Let me do it. And it was a thing where, you know, I just grew to trust him less and it's not healthy. And that's maternal gatekeeping where you can open up the gate and let him in or clang it shut and keep him out. And that's what I was doing all the time. And so he kind of drifted off. And the thing about the chores happened gradually, but sort of insidiously where, you know, I was feeding the baby. So then I started cooking for everyone and I was doing a lot of the laundry and it just crept up on me. So one thing we saw this really great counselor in New York City. His name is Guy Winch. And he said, when you have a baby, everything is up for renegotiation because you effectively have a brand new relationship. And he challenged us and said, what aspect of your relationship has not changed since the baby arrived? And we thought, okay, Oh, that's sleep, such an essential sex. point. Yeah, like mornings, weekends, nights, uh, food, your, your bank account, everything. Everything has changed. And he said, so you have to start from the ground up. And so with things like chores, 
we had to, I mean, it's not sexy, it's super boring, but we had to sit down and have a meeting and divvy everything up. And once you kind of enumerate it, once I'd gotten myself into this mess by doing everything, we sat down again and we made a list of every single chore. Can you imagine how boring that was? I remember I had some like chocolate bread that I tried to like, you know, zhuzh up the meeting with, but it was still deadly. But we had to do it because part of the problem is assuming that they're going to jump in and help you, which in my particular case was not, you know, Tom took up social chess on his phone like the second the baby shot out along with long distance cycling so when he was <laughs> when, when he wasn't pedaling away he was home on the couch l- playing social chess or just noodling on his phone and another way I was checking my own behavior is I kept I would glare at him and think that he would if I glared at him he would notice and jump up and help me so wait you but mean he, glaring is not a strategy <laughs> no, believe it or not you know I would bang pots and pans and I would glare at him hate unloading the dishwasher did not help because he he truly didn't notice and he wasn't ignoring me to be passive aggressive he just didn't notice and it never it rarely occurred to me I just went straight to fuming, like, why isn't he helping me? This is it's crap. Like, instead of just saying, hey, uh, can you get up and help me unload the dishwasher? So one of because the things that I, if he loves you, he should just know that, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and so that was one of the many ways that I was in the wrong. It was expecting him to read my mind, which he couldn't, expecting him to notice I was glaring at him. I talked to this one cultural anthropologist. Um, her name's Helen Fisher. And she said that there's a famous study in which men, well, she was theorizing actually that men can recognize hostility much more clearly in the eyes of other men, because from an evolutionary standpoint, back in the day when you were a caveman, if some man was going to come towards you and club you, you would die. Whereas there was not as much of a threat when a woman was angry with you. So they're actually more attuned to male anger than female anger. And like some of this just made me feel better. So Anyway, one of the main things was to divvy up chores. And so we were really hyper-specific and granular about what chores. And also divvy up according to preference. In same-sex couples, there's this a couple of studies about how they don't bound by these silly gender roles about like, oh, you should mow the lawn because you're a dude. You know, mm-hmm. they just do it according to preference. And we realized we were slipping into that old hidebound stuff. And I would say, wait, you know, why am I doing this when I don't actually like it? You know, and and so I realized that I loved to grocery shop, not because I'm a woman and actually much more men are grocery shopping now, but because I love food and I love inspecting everything. Yeah. Yet he was doing the grocery shopping. And so we switched it around. I loathe doing laundry, especially because he has disgusting cycling clothes that turn to mulch. Oh, they're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> nasty. So he said, oh, I actually don't mind doing the laundry. And you would think these fundamental conversations you would have had. It's amazing how you don't. No, and, we don't talk about any of right? this before we get married. I know you just kind of go do 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 and things kind of go the way they're going. And suddenly you're like cast into these roles that maybe you didn't want. So we had really granular conversations. And then I had other counselors teach me how to ask for something. Like I had this one guy his name is Terry Real, and he charges $800 an hour. I went so readers don't have to. And he would, he would say to me, because we had a five-hour session. Let's add that up. That's and, a vacation in Mexico. Woo, right? And so he's a genius. And he was saying, wait, why would you complain after the fact that he doesn't help you? Like, all my clients do this. Why not during? And he, he would say, why, when you're emptying the dishwasher, do you not just 
hand him some dishes if he's there. Like, what's he going to do? Throw him on the floor? He's right. Like, he said, why is it that when you're, if, if you're watching a movie and you have a pile of laundry, put it in front of him so you can both fold while you're, while you're watching the movie. Like, why are you not involving him? Just, why does everything have to be a fight? You know, he, he also told me to climb off the cross, which is also true because I was being oh, a martyr. so true. But I, I really learned to calmly articulate. You would think I would have known this, but I didn't like, hey, you, you know, get off the couch. Can you come on over here? In a neutral tone of voice, not you know, you dick, but, but right. come over and, and help me. And also to delegate, which I wasn't doing and to invite him in. I mean, I realized another form of maternal gatekeeping that I was doing even was when I text with other moms, like Tom would walk by and say, Ooh, what are you talking about? Cause he loves like mom gossip. And I would say, Oh, nothing. You wouldn't be interested. Well, he was interested. So I had to check all my behavior with that too. Well, one point that you make that I love is that you say, you know, we assign so much meaning to what our partners are doing or not doing. So we think they are deliberately not helping. So then we feel unseen. We believe that if they cared about us more, they would just intuit what our needs were. And I love it when you just cut through the crap and you're like, what if we just asked for help with what we need? What? Like get out. (laughs) I know. There's this famous relationship writer, and he wrote the five love languages. Gary Chapman. Gary Chapman, thank you, Ella, of course. Very famous. Has sold gazillions more books than I have, and and I forget his name. He's insulted somewhere. He he'll lives. be all right. <laughs> yeah, he'll live. He'll live. So he said, request. you know, a request works a lot better than a demand when he was, you know, advising me on what to do. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, why wouldn't you say to Tom, like, hey, can you help me do this rather than get off your ass and, and help me? And I would say, because I get mad. And he said, yeah, but who likes to be, who likes demands? No one. It's not a male thing. It's a human thing. Requests work a lot better. There's tons of research behind it. Just ask in a, in a polite tone of voice. It doesn't have to be sugary sweet. And you'll get a much better chance of compliance. So I tried that too. And that did indeed work. And I kept thinking, okay, it's not a male thing. It's just people like to be treated with respect. And so no yelling, no, no nasty language, you know, just calm, take your 10 seconds and ask in a neutral tone of voice. And I didn't like to ask. That's also being part of like a managerial role that I never wanted, but I kept thinking, okay, better to be a house manager and keep your sanity. You know, I'm never going to be done being a house manager, but but our relationship's a lot better. Let me tell you what I think is hard. The whole theory that we need to give positive reinforcement. uh, Let me use an example that people use all the time, taking out the garbage. So your husband Mm -hmm. won't take out the garbage. You won't take out the garbage. You won't take out the garbage or pick up his socks. Right. And we are supposed to give them positive reinforcement around all the tiny little things that they do so that they'll do the other things more willfully. Now that's hard. That's hard. Yeah. I, I kept trying to make it not gendered so that I could do that because that was another thing Gary Chapman told me is, you know, to just be, to be nice about it, but I couldn't do full on positive reinforcement. I really could really like, hard. but I could do the, cause I felt like you get trapped in these things, which are not helpful of thinking like, I don't get thanked. Cause I, I don't get thanked for any, you just don't. That's the very first thing yeah. that I think moms think moms in particular think. Right. is like, who's thanking me? Like, do you have right. any idea the number of things that I do? And like, who's thanking me? I remember those right. days so well. There's a lot of research about just saying the phrase, thank you. There was one famous study that couples who thank each other. I mean, in this, in this, among many other things can apply to someone who doesn't have kids, but just saying 
thank you has a reciprocal effect and the person ends up saying thank you more to you once you do it to them. And I did find this to be true. And Tom is not Mr. Thank you. But the more I would say like, look, could you take out the garbage? You know, my version of being nice, which is actually not that nice, but it, at least it's not screen. So it, it would be neutral because that's all I could do. And I would say, can you can you just take out the garbage? Okay, great. Thank you. And then he would, that, that sounded hostile, didn't it? But he would then end up thanking me too. And also, you know, explaining in a neutral way why things are important. Because I would, you know, again with chores, I ended up doing most of the cooking. I like to cook. So it, it wasn't torture for me, but mm-hmm. I do like to be, I do like for when I put food in front of you, for you to say, oh, this is good. Thanks. You know, and I had to explain in a neutral, calm way, like, it's important to me to be thanked. Could you please thank me? You know, that's all I'm asking. And so just basic communication that that often gets lost. You know, I have to check myself now. When I'm muttering under my breath, that means I need to communicate. And he doesn't know what's wrong if I'm doing that. You know, but involving him more and more. Like maternal gatekeeping, I started saying to him, he's a freelance writer, so he has time not everyone does, I know this, but I would say like, can you start chaperoning school trips, which takes it off of me. And he also benefits because it, it makes him closer with our daughter. Mm-hmm. And he said, he tried to get out of one, I remember when he was first starting to do it. And he said, oh, look, there's a lot of stay-at-home moms who can do it. Look, I see on the email chain, there's like five of them. I said, they aren't stay-at-home moms. This one's a lawyer. This one works in a nonprofit. This one's a yoga teacher. They all are taking time off to go to, you know, the Queens Museum or whatever they were doing. And when he went, he loved it and it took it off my plate. So I don't and know what- you asked. It never would have happened if you hadn't asked. I opened my mouth. Yeah. One thing that you have already pointed out that I think is so important and it relates to fighting better, this refusal to go below the line. That's my language. Yeah. And that is that you have pointed out the need for just basic respect. Like, isn't it so weird how the human condition is such that we treat the people closest to us. They see the absolute worst sides of us. And of course, we understand why that happens and so on and so forth. But like to introduce like basic social, like, you know, rules of engagement and to be willing to only show one another respect, even when you're furious to not go below that line, that changed everything for you, didn't it? It did because, and this was another one, this Boston counselor, Terry Real. I said, yeah, he oh, he set your hair on fire, didn't he? Oh my, he yells at you, but it's like <laughs> kind of exciting because <laughs> you just expose your worst behavior to him and he sets you straight. And it was the, maybe the best thing I did, but, but I said, oh, I can't control my temper. And he said, yeah, you can. You know, most people that can't control their temper, they're either in a mental institution or in jail. You can control your temper. Do you do it at work? Because, uh, you know, I, I've worked in an office also. Right. And I could. And so he said, that's BS that you can't control your temper. You can. You choose not to. And he said, try try for a week, full what he calls full respect living. That's where every interaction you have with your partner should not drop below the level of simple respect. I mean, you know, I'm nicer to Andre, my UPS guy, than I am to my husband. That's not good, you know. And so I thought, okay, geez, I can try a week. And you're so right. Like, we feel completely okay to unload on our partner. Calling your partner terrible names or swearing at them is not okay. That sounds sanctimonious and it was hard for me to do, but I tried for a week and then a week became two weeks and then it became a month. And if you do it long enough, what he calls full respect living, 
Then if you do yell, it seems really weird and out of place and scary. Like, you know, when someone, you know, when someone like yells at a public place and you're like, okay, what's going down? You know, <laughs> it's like that. And so it, it actually it the feels out of place. It, yes. The longer you do it, the easier it is. And I had to struggle at first. And, you know, so we tried full respect living and that included, you know, there really is a way to fight that's helpful Instead of just unloading or yelling or venting, this was another thing Terry said, no venting. He said, you know, there's a, in our culture, it's supposed to be okay to just tell everyone everything that you feel and mm -hmm. get it all out. Mm -hmm. And he was very anti-venting. And he said, when you find yourself venting, just stop. And so we learned how to fight again. And we used John and Julie Gottman, very famous couples counselors. There's four lethal behaviors when you're fighting. Oh, I, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? In your relationship. Criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling or freezing out your mate. And then is the last one sarcasm? Oh, contempt. Contempt, which is sarcasm is a subset of contempt. You know, those are very famous in the couples counseling world and so many people use them. So criticism includes insults and, you know, phrases like you never or you always. and Leading with you when you're fighting usually ends up, you go down a bad road. It's hard not to be defensive when someone is beginning their argument with you, this, you, that, you always, yeah. you never. Yeah. I know. Immediately you're like arming up, right? But so I had to learn to say I and talk about my feelings again with my feelings. But, you know, I feel hurt when you sit and play social chess on your computer and I'm diapering the baby. I feel like it's in the 50s and I just feel kind of depressed that you won't help. Well, then he feels like a jerk and he gets up and helps instead of, you know, you're a lazy bum. What's right. wrong with you? So there's criticism and no one likes to be criticized. They don't like it. Who likes it? And yet you know? I think when your baby is born, like you're gifted with a special ability to criticize like a professional. Oh, yes. You've got a black belt in it. And, and so the next is defensiveness. And that's where... I mean, we've all done it where someone is trying to tell you how they feel or maybe they're criticizing you and you're already forming a rebuttal in your head. You've got your counterattack ready, you know, and so you're not listening and listening is key. On a side note, you know, I talked to this FBI expert and he taught, you know, the FBI practices active listening when somebody's like, you know, like in a hostage situation, in a hostage situation. Exactly. And so listening is a huge one. Just as a side note here. Because we're often not listening. We're, we're, we're too busy getting ready for our like funny, you know, rejoinder when somebody says something or like a zinger to hurt them. When in fact, if you just listen and repeat what they say, they calm down. Tom does it to me all the time. You know, he'll, I'll say, I'm upset that you didn't pick up our kid during after school. And he'll say, you're upset that I didn't pick up your kid, our kid at after school. And I'll say, uh, yes, yes, I am. We want to be heard. We want to be heard. And it's a very simple thing to just repeat, you know, what they're saying. Anyway, the third is stonewalling. And this is, you know, research shows that it's mostly pertaining to males. They freeze you out. They they just don't answer you. They're They're hoping that you're going to calm down. But what happens is you end up getting more upset because you're not being heard. There is no faster way to turn a woman psychotic than to freeze her out. <laughs> exactly right. Or to say the dreaded phrase, calm down. <laughs> Wait, yeah, that might be just as fast, actually. Good point. Yeah. Good point. But I would venture to say that maybe freezing out works 
zero percent of the time, you know. And so he had to Tom had to learn not to do that. Tom had to learn to talk to me when he was upset, which is hard to do. And then the fourth is contempt. And that is the biggest predictor of divorce. So there are ways to just not treat your partner with contempt because it makes them feel devalued. We have to sidestep all that stuff and describe yourself and your own feelings rather than describing your partner, you know, so that helped. Jancy, I want to get a story on the table that is so powerful before we move into our third theme here. And that story, I think it came from the $800 an hour guy. And he was trying to talk to you about your temper and your anger because you were thinking that it wasn't impacting your child. And then you're like, wait, we live in an apartment in New York. So (laughs) she can literally hear every conversation that we have. And you realize it was in fact impacting your daughter, of course, whether they're witness to it or not, of course it affects the children, right? And tell us about the exercise that he had you do. I thought that when our daughter was a baby, that she couldn't understand us and that, of course, we could fight. Who cares? She's a baby. But there are studies that show even at six months, they have stress reactions to parents' angry, argumentative voices. They are having a stress response at six months. And then when our child would get older, our daughter, we would do the thing where Tom and I would fight with each other, but we'd be sugary sweet to her. So it'd be like, Yeah, I told you to do that. Well, no. Okay, great. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Honey, do you want some Cheerios? You want some Cheerios? You know, and we were thinking it wasn't affecting her because we were compartmentalizing it with each other. And so when I went to the $800 an hour guy, Terry Real, he said, are you insane? Of course, you know, and he actually says things like, are you crazy? And he's a counselor, which is kind of funny. But he said, you think it doesn't affect your daughter? Of course it affects her. You know, and then I was, I, as I told you before, Ella, when I was saying that, I said, oh, I can't help my temper. He said, yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. So he said, here's what I want you to do next time you a, a fight starts brewing and you think your temper is going to, quote unquote, engulf you. Okay, you take a timeout, which he's very big on. A timeout can be 30 minutes. It can be, you know, all day, but you just have to check in with each other. And he said, I want you to take a photograph of your daughter, run into your bedroom take out the photograph, which I put in my bedside table, look at her picture and say, I know that what I'm about to do is going to cause you harm, but right now my anger is more important to me than you are. Oh, ouch. I mean, ouch. I burst into tears. It was awful. I felt so, I thought that's exactly it, isn't it? Like it's more important for me to like haul off and vent and get it all out. And win. Yeah. And win that is a key component, isn't it? Like to just keep going till you've beaten him down. And it was affecting my daughter. And so I only had to do that one or two times. And then I never lost my temper really in a significant way in front of our child again. And another child psychologist at the Yale Parenting Center said, hey, here's a question. Have you ever asked your daughter how your fighting with Tom makes her feel? And it was another one of those moments where you're like, oh, no, I haven't. I mean, I I don't know how I got through life. Um, (laughs) It did bother her. It upset her a lot. And she told me so. And it was incredibly upsetting and a wake-up call. Like, oh, yes, of course. So that was also a wake-up call. And at first, the motivation for getting 
you know, reconnecting with my husband was because I felt like, oh, we're ruining our daughter. You know, she's going to be on the psychiatrist's couch very soon. And it wasn't even that, oh, my God, you know, my relationship is eroding with my husband, a guy that I love. And the other thing that I want to point out, it's just as harmful if you're just freezing each other out. Again, even if you're not fiery, it's not limited to that. Like, we don't have exclusive rights to traumatizing our kids. The actual freezing out and the apathy and the no relationship except household management is, I would argue, equally detrimental in a different way to your children when the only relationship that they see is totally transactional. Right. And kids aren't stupid. You know, they know when something's up. And if you think that giving each other the silent treatment or just, you know, just saying short, terse things to each other is blowing by your kid, it isn't. And they pick up on sarcasm. At the age of five, I talked to a sarcasm expert. There's experts for everything. And she was saying that it baffles. I mean, this also kind of got me. She said, oh, yeah, it really baffles kids that age because they don't understand why you would use sarcasm and be mean to each other. I was like, (laughs) you're right. (laughs) The other thing that happens, and I know we don't have time to do this justice, Jancy, but let's touch on it. The other thing that happens is the resentment builds, like you're keeping track, you know, you're keeping a scorecard, you know, to some degree as to what the other one's doing or not doing. You're overvaluing your contribution and undervaluing their contribution. And a lot of this can happen, I would argue, in very pleasant, perfectly normal, relatively happy households, by the way. You don't have to be off the charts. You don't have to look like a Real Housewives episode for this to apply to you. Do you agree? I do. And, you know, so many people get divorced after the kids leave. You know, yeah. they call it the, the gray divorce. And sometimes it happens, you know, where one mate is completely walloped when they get served divorce papers. Like they had no idea. But the other one, there's just no spark anymore and no effort to engage with your partner. And it just slowly dies. So, yeah, you're right. It doesn't have to be like crockery throwing, right? It can be just gradually gets more and more airless. One of the factors that plays a huge role in the disintegration of relationships, long-term relationships, is a lack of sex. And you are so, you write about this so beautifully, a lack of intimacy. And part of the reasons, I mean, you touch on so many reasons. You tell us that in the first year of a baby's life, forgive me if I'm not getting the details exactly right, but men's testosterone actually drops. When women are breastfeeding, like their libido actually drops. Then you Mm -hmm. have the fact that you're giving, giving, giving all day long in a very intimate way if you're the mother of a new baby, obviously, and that it just like your sex life can fall apart. And I would argue that is one of the easiest things to let happen and one of the absolute most damaging. What can you say about that? Yes. I mean, how easy is it to deprioritize, right? Because life gets in the way and And again, so many women, if they have kids, are just touched out at the end of the day. It's like, oh, please no. So we tried all kinds of different things. And one thing is the classic advice, just do it. Even if you don't want to, when you do, I can't tell you how often I would turn to Tom and say, we should do this more often, you know, (laughs) like coffee with a pal. But really, like once you get into it, It does help you when those bonding chemicals start flowing and you do become closer to each other. And, you know, even we tried all these strategic things like we would do, let's just make out for 15 minutes. We don't have to go any further if we don't want to, if one person's tired. Well, inevitably you do when the pressure's off. 
we have to really talk and, and, you know, it's so embarrassing sometimes to talk about your own sex life and it's not, again, not sexy, but I would say, you know what it is? It's the time is bothering me because I start doing calculations in my head. If he starts like making a move and I'm thinking, okay, it's 11 (laughs) o'clock. This may wrap up at 1130, maybe 1145, depending, right? And then I'm cutting into my sleep time and I'm getting up at 630. No, good night. (laughs) Goodbye. You know? And he said, okay, what if I put our child to bed half an hour early? What if it's all on me, you know? (laughs) And then we have, we've built in another half an hour. And I would say, yes, okay, I like that. Even distance can sometimes help. And that means going to a party with your spouse or mate or partner and saying, seeing them flirt with somebody else, seeing them across the room the way other people see him, you know, like... Tom is a handsome guy, and Esther said, go out to a party with him. Don't be welded to his side, which I don't do anyway at parties, but like, but see him the way other people are. You know, distance can help. I love that. You know, and even, you know, if you need a little help, if you need to read erotica, which is a surging genre, right? (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) Yeah, nice, right? Subtle. And, you know, Get it electronically if you want to, if you don't want some, you know, book <laughs> lying around on the yeah, nightstand. Hobby. Yeah, like you, you just get it electronically. Jancy, one thing that I find is that when we are consistent, <laughs> if you yeah. know what I mean, wink, wink, I still notice that little things don't bother me as much if we are active. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you find that to be the case too? That's probably a thing. There's probably data behind that. Absolutely. And there was this huge study. I mean, I think it was 30,000 people, but that the, the sweet spot for having sex is once a week. Once a week. That's it. See, and I think I, it's two, but I'm not a scientist. You think two times a week is, yeah, is I think that should that's be, what works for you? I, no, uh-huh. I just think that should be the min because it like it requires just enough effort. I mean, sometimes it's no problem at all, right? And right. then other times right. it's like, I don't know. It's kind of like working out. I say I'm going to work out seven days a week so that when I do it for five or six, it's fine. You know, that's actually good advice too. Maybe I should bump it up because I always just say once a week, you know, then it seems like doable for people. Haha. But, but really like twice a week would be the ultimate and it does connect you. It does make you feel more bonded with your partner. And, you know, it's a thing where, okay. And again, the old, there was another bit of research in which the ultimate time to have sex. And this is a bunch of sex researchers that were surveyed is seven to 13 minutes for intercourse anyway, seven to 13 minutes once a week. Again, I'm talking about the bare minimum. Right? I mean, come on, you can do it. You can do it. (laughs) If you can do that. But again, consistency, absolutely very, very important. Well, I want to encourage everybody who has heard the show we did on sex and an extraordinary marriage to know that Jancy also took the seven day challenge. Although I have to say, overachiever, you made it a 10 day challenge and you had sex for 10 days in a row with Tom. I was, <laughs> I know I was, I was texting my sisters and they were just so grossed out. I was like, <laughs> you know, but like, but it really people. moved the needle for you. That old adage that sex researchers say that the more you do, the more you want to do. So if you're out of commission, you know, you end up, drying up right but if, if if you if you get going again then it really can jumpstart things so yes we went for 10 days I'm i mean so you deserve that. some kind of medal okay yeah. jancy this is so much like there is so much more i want to talk to you about i have no idea where this hour went I'm, my mind is blown you guys jancy's book is required reading if you have kids if you've ever had kids if you plan on having kids and or if you ever plan on having a long-term relationship. That covers everybody. And I really appreciate you saying that, Ella. If you have eyes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or ears, Jancy's book is for you. 
Jancy, this was amazing. Thank you so, so much for this. Guys, the book is called How Not to Hate Your Husband After Kids. Jancy, it's been a trip. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.